0: Okay, we're in 1 John chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and they kind of form a unit. And it's going to be a couple weeks before we get back to finishing verses 1 through 5. 1 through 5 kind of start a new section, yet you know, at the same time it finishes up what we've been talking about, about love. And so there's kind of an interesting transition paragraph here in verses 1 through 5. And uh, next two weeks, we're going to be doing our missions conference theme, and then we'll come back to this uh, in, in, I guess, three weeks from today, Lord willing. First John chapter 5, if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, looking at verses 1 through 3 particularly. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God you may be seated may God encourage strengthen you edify you this morning through his word let's pray Father we do uh, thank you for this this word that gives us this encouragement about obedience to you and love for you and your children and the truth of how we can be born again through our trust in your son Jesus is the Christ the Messiah bore the penalty for our sins on the cross, and rose again. I pray for those this morning uh, who are hurting. We think of those who've lost family members the last few weeks, and we would ask for your your grace on them. We pray for those uh, who are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, that we don't even know about. I, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your saints to come alongside them, that, that we would be vessels instruments of your grace in their life even if we don't know it we'd say the right thing at the right time to encourage and and edify and and point people closer to to you to know and understand your love for these truths and these verses that we're looking at this morning about obedience help me to communicate them clearly help me to communicate what's right and to not uh, fail to say anything i i need to say and help me to Prevent me from saying something I shouldn't, and we would ask for just your perfect peace upon us as we live our lives in obedience to you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. A few months ago, Whitney and the kids and I were in Midland, Texas, for the funeral of her grandfather And it was a few days before the funeral and we had gathered there in Midland and there was some event going on in a fellowship hall there at First Baptist Church Midland where her grandfather had attended. And uh, we're there in this event and it's, you know, it's kind of a big crowd and lots of people I don't know. And so kind of like many of you, I'm sure I thought, you know, I kind of just need to walk out of the room and catch my breath for a moment. A little overwhelming here. And so I kind of stepped out. I'm just going to walk around this church a little bit. It's a, it's a very large church and so i kind of wander down the, the main hallway and there's a little side hallway that's still pretty big but but not the main hallway of the church and so i just kind of walk down that main hallway and there on my left is a display table a little glass table and different things in there and so i walk over there and a couple of things on the left hand side and don't really pay attention to those my eyes are drawn to this this manuscript it looks like a some sort of old document so I, I look at it and there's a little placard next to the document that says what it is it says pastor vernon yearby's pistol packin mama sermon november 21st 1943 pastor vernon yearby's pistol packin mama sermon november 21st 1943 i think what in the world is a Pistol and Mama sermon. Uh, I, you know, if it was good, I can use this. Uh, and he's going to remember a 70-year-old sermon. and I'm sure the copyright is long past expired there. So I, I, I look through the display case and, and look, and, and I'm able to read the first couple paragraphs. And I find out, first of all, that apparently Pistol and Mama is a very popular song there in 1943. Daveen's nodding her head yes. Uh, do you want to sing? I, I, I don't think it's a good song to sing because now because he's because the other thing I found out and Davine probably already knows this as well is that um, Vernon was against it. Okay, he did not think that Pistol Packin' Mama was a good song for the the country to like, and he thought no no uh, no Bible believing Christian should uh, be enjoying the song as well. Okay, and so that's that's his pistol, pack, and mama theory. And um, so I'm looking, this is very interesting. You know, all these questions come to mind. How did this sermon get here? Is this like some famous sermon? And and who put it in a display case? And how long has it been here? And so I, I go back and I, I kind of ask a couple people who go to the churches, hey, tell me about the, the pistol, pack, and mama sermon. they're like, what are you talking about? So, well, you know, Vernon Yerby's, Pistol Pack and Mama Sermon. Not only did they not know the history behind it, they had never even heard of it. They had no idea this display table even existed. And So I, I talked to the, the, st- the staff of the church. I'm like, hey, so tell me that display table. Again, not only did they not know the history, they had never even heard of this display table. Um, a couple weeks later, I called the church and I, I talked to the you know, the, secret, you know, the depositor of all knowledge and uh, they think I'm crazy. Um, but I said, no, no, this, this sermon is there. Again, never even heard of it. As far as I know, at this moment, I'm the world's foremost authority <laughs> on the Pistol Pack and Mama sermon preached by Vernie Urie. If I am ever in Midland, Texas again, I am going to that display table and I'm finding a way to get it open and I'm reading that, that text. Okay? I mean, after, no one knows it's there anyway. I could probably take it. Now, as, as I think about that sermon, a uh, long-forgotten seven-year-old sermon, a, a, couple, a couple thoughts come to mind as it relates to obedience. A couple dangers, I think, when it comes to obedience. One danger is, of course, the, the danger of legalism, right? Now, I didn't read all of Vernon's sermons, so I don't know where he was going with this, but the introduction started off, where it seemed like the main application was going to be, don't listen to the song and don't enjoy the song. And I, I don't know where he ended up, but that that was the tone I was getting. And so, the the danger of there's many dangers uh, dangers of legalism, but one of the dangers of legalism is how completely ineffective it is. If if you walked away from one of my messages and all you knew was what you shouldn't do, like some rule that you should follow, that would not be very effective for you in living a life of obedience to God. If all you knew that there was some song you weren't supposed to listen to or a certain type of music you weren't supposed to listen to or, or whatever, um, I don't think that would be a very effective way. I know that wouldn't be a very effective way to live the Christian life. And if that was Vernon's point, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a, a great way to, to express the idea of obedience. And I do wonder what he would think of a pastor quoting a Taylor Swift song a few weeks ago, but that's a different issue. A friend of mine did that. The other the other danger though, as I think about this pistol pack and mama sermon sitting in a display case that no one knows about, a sermon from some seventy years ago. The other danger that exists when I think about obedience and the the Christian is the danger of believing that obedience isn't that big of a deal. And as I read that first introductory couple paragraphs, although I I didn't know where it was going, I, I will say this. I thought, you know, even though I wouldn't preach a message about pistol pack and mama, um, I need to remember how important obedience to God is in all areas of life. When it comes to what I listen to, what I watch, what I find entertaining, and what I think about, the issue of, of obedience is a big deal. And, and yes, legalism is dangerous, but, but equally dangerous is this idea that I don't need to worry about being obedient to God. And God doesn't really care what I think about or what I watch or what I listen to. And there doesn't need to be a, a stark difference between me and, and, and how the world lives, how I live versus how the world lives. There, there should be a stark difference between the two. What I want you to see as we look at these first three verses in, in 1 John chapter 5, is that loving God means I joyfully obey him. Loving God means that I am joyfully obedient to God. And I want to look here at these verses, and I, I want to look at some some bad news that exists, and I also want to look at some, some good news, okay? So let, let's first of all talk a little bit about some bad news, and this bad news is for those of us who who believe the gospel means obedience isn't necessary now that's kind of some awkward wording on Friday uh, Heather was typing this up and she said is that are you sure that's how you want to word that I said it's Friday afternoon I'm positive okay but here, here's what I mean here okay when I say bad it's bad news for those who believe the gospel means obedience isn't necessary what I'm saying is what John is saying here is bad news for those of us who believe hey once I've place my faith in Jesus Christ, I don't need to worry about obedience anymore. The gospel tells me that I can come into a relationship with God by simply placing my faith in his son, Jesus Christ, apart from any works of my own. The mistake is to believe that because that's true, because there's no works that I can do to earn salvation, the mistake is to believe that works are of no importance in my life. That I don't need to worry about obedience. That the gospel means obedience isn't necessary. And what John tells us is is no, obedience is is absolutely vital. Obedience to God is crucial. And and let's look at verses 1 and 2. And let's see how John helps us reach the conclusion that obedience is vital. And on the back of your notes there, I have a little bit of a diagram. I am not the world's greatest diagrammer. I do this with a little bit of trepidation, but but this is kind of what I worked out. Hopefully, to help us follow John's progression of thought here in verses one through three, and we're going to see the, the progression of thought continues in verses four and five in a couple of weeks. But but here's here's what I've I've tried to do, and and uh, let's let's go ahead and look at the first part of the diagram. We see in verses one and two. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. And now, this, this first part of the diagram describes the first part of verse 1. Again, I'm not the world's greatest diagrammer. I, I really wanted to have time to go back and put the smiley faces in those little circles. So if you have time, just go ahead and do that right now. But um, what, what he's saying here is everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God. Now, if you look at that first circle, in that first circle you have everyone, all the people who believe, that's the present tense right now. You look at Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is in that first circle. These are people, remember John has used expressions like this before, who have confessed what the false teachers that John is is talking about as well in 1 John, they're confessing what the false teachers have denied. Remember in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 22, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So now, outside of this circle are all those who have explicitly or implicitly denied that Jesus is the Christ. So inside that first circle, every person who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And when we say believes that Jesus is the Christ, that means they've confessed all the things that John has talked about before concerning who Jesus Christ is. They believe he's the Christ. They believe that he's the son of God. They believe that he is fully man. They believe that Jesus is the one who has the ability to completely deal with sin. Remember, we saw that at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. They've confessed those things. They believe those things to be true. Their trust is in Jesus, and they've rightly believed who Jesus is. Now, all of the people, John is telling us, who are inside of that circle, all the people who have believed that Jesus is the Christ are also in another circle, and that's the circle of all the people who have been born of God. See that? Every person who believes that Jesus is the Christ has also been born of God. All the people in the first circle are also in this second circle. Now, let me just give a, a little bit of an aside here. Some people say, now, does this mean that for a person to believe in Jesus Christ, they have to first be born of God? That has been born of God is, it's, it's a passive past tense. In other words, it's talking about someone doing something to them in, in the past. So they've first are born of God and then believe that Jesus is the Christ? Is, is that what John is saying? And, and I don't believe that w- that's what John is saying. I think, think it will become more clear as we go through this, this diagram. But what John is saying is, look, every time you look at a person and you see that this person right now is believing that Jesus is the Christ, that means that in the past they've been born of God. You're not going to encounter a person who believes that Jesus is the Christ and your you're not going to encounter a person in, in the church or in your everyday life who believes that Jesus is the Christ who hasn't also been born of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Every person in this circle goes to the next circle. They've been born of God. Now here's the next part of the, the diagram you see here in, in John's thought. Now, everyone who loves the Father, and by the way, every person who's been born of God loves the Father. We see that in 1 John 4, 7. So there's there's no person who has been born of God, who doesn't love the one who's done the begatting. That's what it literally says here. Every person who loves the Father, he says in verse 1, the second part of verse 1, also loves whoever has been born of him. Okay, so you see that everyone is, is there again. So every person in this first circle who believes that Jesus is the Christ is also part of this second circle. They've been born of God. Every person who's been born of God loves the Father, and every person who loves the Father loves the children of God. What does that mean? That means that there's not a little person you can find, there's not one of your little stick figures with a smiley face on it, who you can say, well, that person believes that Jesus is the Christ, but look, as we come down to this last circle, they're not still in there. They don't love the children of God. That doesn't exist. Every person who's in the first circle makes it all the way to the last circle. Every person who's in the third circle makes it to the fourth circle. Every person who's in the fourth circle is in the second circle. Every person who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who's been born of God loves the Father. Everyone who loves the Father loves the children of God. You see what John is saying there? Does that make sense? Okay. Now here's, here's the question that should be really important to us. Here, here's a question that should be really important. Remember, 1 John is all about knowing that I'm in fellowship with God. It's written to people who, who are questioning, am I really in a relationship with God? There are people who have been leaving the church, they've been following these false teachers. Do I know that I'm really in fellowship with God? And if it's true that every person who's, who's in this circle goes to this circle and goes to this circle and goes to this, this circle, it ends up every person who's in right relationship with God loves the children of God. The question that every single one of us should have is, well, how do I know that I love the children of God? If I have assurance that I'm in one of the circles, what do I have? I have assurance that I'm in a relationship with God and all the other things are true of me as well. So we come to verse 2. And in verse 2, John gives us the knowledge of, by which we can have confidence that we're in relationship with God, that we love the children of God. Here's what he says in verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God. By this, we know that we're in this, this circle of loving the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And here's the next part of the diagram. Here's the final part. How do we know we love the children of God? By obedience. We love God, and we obey His commandments. Obedience to God and His commands means that I know that I, I've confe- believed that Jesus is the Christ. because what's the essence of obedience? It's believing in Jesus Christ. It, it means obedience means that I know that I love the children of God because what does God tell me to do? He tells me to, to love His children. So if I'm obedient to God, I'm loving His children. Obedience is a crucial part. Of assurance that I'm in the right relationship with God. In fact, I'm about to do this amazing special effects thing. Actually, spoiler alert, the arrows are just gonna go in the opposite direction. Um, in fact, go ahead and go ahead and do that here. Because what it also means, if if I'm obedient, it means not only does everyone who believe that Jesus Christ loved the children of God, it also means a person who loves children of God can say, Okay, I know that I love the Father and I know I love the Father, and knows I know I've been born of God and I know if I've been born of God, I believe that Jesus Christ. In other words, it works in reverse, too. These, these things are all related to each other. They're all connected. In fact, what do we see in that first part of verse 1? When he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ and been born of God, what is that? We've talked about it before. That's the truth test. I passed the truth test of fellowship with God. Every person who loves the Father loves the children of God. What is that? That's the love test again, right? We've already talked about that. And what's this idea of obedience? That's the obedience test. Do You see, all these things are related. I can't come up here this morning to you and say, Hey, everybody, I love you so much, but I'm not all that concerned with truth, but I'm still in relationship with God. No, if I I am not passionate about truth, I've failed the truth test. I can't stand up to you this morning and say, Hey, you know what, I'm all about truth, but obeying all the rules that God gives me, not that big of a deal to me, but I'm still in fellowship with God. That's a lie. What John is trying to communicate to us is that obedience is absolutely necessary in terms of assurance that I'm in right relationship with God. And, and let me just say this very carefully. In terms of assurance that I'm in right relationship with God, being obedient to him is just as important in terms of assurance. Being obedient to God is just as important in confessing the right truths about the Trinity. In terms of being assured of my right relationship with God, being obedient to Him is just as important in believing and confessing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In terms of assurance. I cannot say, I know I'm in relationship with God, because I believe a lot of doctrinal truths about Jesus. But I'm unconcerned with obedience. I can't say I'm all about love and I, I love people so I know that I'm right with God. Because God is love if I'm not willing to confess the right truths about who God is. and If I'm not willing to be obedient to the commandments that God has given me. What I'm trying to say again is that obedience is vitally necessary. Obedience is not some optional part of the Christian life. Obedience to God, thinking very carefully about how does God want me to live in this situation? How does God want me to act? What does God want me to think about? That is crucial for the Christian to consider. And my belief is that in the contemporary evangelical culture, when it comes to obedience... It's like a 70-year-old forgotten sermon in a dusty display table in a hallway to the side. It's not in the forefront of our mind. We're not passionate about it, and we don't recognize its necessity in our lives. Uh, this past week, uh, Friday, my friend and I were, were having a lunch together, and they're, they're there came a point in the conversation where we we couldn't really concentrate on what the other person was saying because of the the commotion behind us. There was a a, a child who was just, I mean, having a meltdown, okay? Now, I'm a parent of four children, okay, so I am judging no one, right? I have been the parent who has been, you know, who's had the meltdown, the, the kid and all, I mean, Fortunately, my kids are old enough to where as a parent that the meltdowns are are fewer the meltdown and maybe we're even past the meltdowns, and uh, the kids are getting better too um, but you know we're, we're having you know we're having this lunch and the the meltdown is happening behind me and, and it wasn 't so much the meltdown it was just the the thing that was interesting to me was the parents' response. It was all the you know I might do this, I we might do this and but there was a real lack of there, there was no follow-through, right? There's no say, hey, we th- this isn't this isn't acceptable. It's expected from children, I think, at a certain age. We know they're going to, to have these meltdowns and be disobedient. That that's, that's normal. But what was concerning t- to me, as a bystander, was was the complete lack of of seriousness, I think, with which the parents took it. The same is true in, in in my life, in your life. Obedience is is not some, hey, that'd be nice if I was obedient, but not that big of a deal. Obedience is vitally necessary, and, and I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I, I'm guessing that there is some area that God is challenging you to be obedient in, and there is a reluctance on your part, or at least. There's a mental recognition, hey, if if I choose to be obedient in this area, my life is going to be very difficult. Maybe there's a moment right now in your in your life, and again, I don't know exactly what's going on, but maybe there's here you are, and and God has called you to do something. and, And as you think this morning, sitting down in that chair, you go, Okay, I know this is the path of obedience, and as I think about that path of obedience, oh my, that is going to to cause me to make some very tough decisions that, quite frankly, I don't want to do. The path of disobedience seems much more attractive. And the easy thing is for us not to even consider what obedience looks like to say, hey, you know what? Obedience isn't that big of a deal. I'm just going to kind of continue doing my thing without realizing the thing that I'm doing is disobedience. Maybe there's a, a financial decision that God has called you to make and this happened to me in the past, but I've, I've been talking with someone and, and there's a person whose who's level of sacrificial giving and how they think about finances is is not where I'm at. And I, I'm, I'm listening to them talk. and I'm, I'm getting convicted. And, you know, as, as I think about, well, boy, to, to live life like this person is living it, it means me making these decisions. And, boy, that sounds kind of unpleasant. But thinking through that is, or let me put it this way, failing to think through that is not an option for the believer if they want to be obedient. Or you're in a relationship right now, or you're thinking about pursuing a relationship, and maybe it's a romantic relationship, and, and you say, boy, I, I really want this relationship. And, and as you think about it, as people talk to you about it, as you receive godly counsel, you recognize this is not a relationship that you should be pursuing, and, and, and yet you desire it so much, and the idea of not pursuing this relationship, of being obedient to God, seems so cumbersome, so, so difficult. Or maybe there's, there, there's a heart attitude that you have and, and you're, you're clinging to bitterness, you're clinging to this heart attitude and, and the idea of being obedient to God in this area just, just fills you with dread. Here's the bad news. For those of us who believe we don't need to be obedient, we must. We must and obedience needs to transform so many areas of my life. It's far it's far more intrusive than just picking one bad song and deciding not to listen to it, right? Obedience to God permeates every aspect of my life. There's no area of my life where I can say, well, well, this is an area I need to struggle with obedience in. That's the bad news. For those of us who, for those who say, you know what, I I want to not consider obedience. I I don't don't want to think about it. I don't want to be obedient to God. The bad news is uh, you have to if you want to be in a relationship with God. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news for those who love God and who earnestly want to obey him. Here it is. Here's the good news in verse 3. For this is the love of God. And by that he means, uh, for this is how we know we have love for God. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, we observe them. Our love for God manifests itself in obedience to his commandments. Now, here's the next sentence, and the next sentence I say here for some of you may be the most powerful truth you have ever encountered for knowing how to rightly live the Christian life. This is going to be a profound truth for some of you, for for many of you, depending on various backgrounds you come from, various perceptions you have of God, various perceptions you have of what obedience to God looks like. Here's what God's word to you is about his commandments. Here's what he says. It's a radical truth. And his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments aren't burdensome. God's commandments aren't these heavy boulders that are designed to crush you under their weight. They aren't designed to be these things that you place upon yourself that drive you into the ground in frustration and defeat. Jesus, in Matthew 23, would say to his disciples, uh, and the crowds, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on the uh, sit on Moses's seat and practice and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up. Listen to this. This is what Pharisees do. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they they lay them. They they place these heavy burdens on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Who is it that places heavy? burdens upon people that they're not able to bear, burdens that crush them under their weight, rules and regulations that crush them with the application of them in their lives. It's not God. It's men and women. Peter, I love what Peter says in Acts 15. He's talking about the gospel and and how Gentiles are coming to God and responding to the gospel. And he says in verse 10 to the, his fellow Jewish believers who are trying to get the Jews... the the Jewish ceremonial law uh, to be a part of the Gentiles' life, he says, look, guys, he doesn't say guys, uh, he says, dudes, um, why, he says, guys, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Rules and regulations, burdens don't come from God, they come from people. Moses in Deuteronomy 30 said, This command that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. It's not far off. If you find that God's commandments are burdensome, if you find that God's commandments are a weight too great for you to bear, one of two things is true. Either first, your heart is wrong, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ and your heart been transformed, that you're delighting in God and have a desire to be obedient to him, that's a possibility. Or, you know what the other possibility is? If you find God's commandments burdensome, you know what the other possibility is? They're not God's commandments. (laughs) There's someone else's commandments that they're telling you to do, but they're not God's. And that's why you're finding them burdensome. Let me give you a couple characteristics of obedience here. And and maybe this will help you as you think about loving God and and wanting to obey him. Here, number one, obedience and love of God are inseparable. Obedience and love of God are inseparable. If you find yourself doing something and, and you find yourself doing this thing, and it's separate from any sort of relational Uh, connection with God, that's not obedience. That's not biblical obedience. Listen to how Scripture describes obedience and connects it to love of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul? The essence of obedience to the Mosaic law was, was loving God. Deuteronomy 11 mentions this numerous times he says verse 1 of deuteronomy 11 deuteronomy 11 he says therefore love the lord your god and keep his charge his statutes his rules and his commandments always in verse 13 he says he says obey my commandments that i command you today to love the lord your god and to serve him with all your heart with all your soul what's the essence of obeying all the commandments of god loving god and serving him with all your heart and soul He says in verse 22 of Deuteronomy 11, Be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and holding fast to him. Obedience and love of God are inseparable. And if you view God as this this cosmic being who desires your your pain and your displeasure, then you haven't rightly understood who God is and it's going to affect how you view the rules and and commandments that He gives you in in Scripture. But if you say, God loves me, and I love God, and I have a desire to be obedient to Him, it's going to give you a whole different reading of God's Word, right? It's why I, I believe, as we think about obedience to God, it's why I believe that it's so much more helpful to communicate to a person, look here's your goal it's it's to love god it's it's not to follow this list of rules, don't do this, do this, don't do this but but to love god and and how I believe as a person loves God, they're not going to be able to help but but live a life of holiness You, you know one of the one of the surest ways to to get me to like you if, if you're hey you know what I'd like to get Daniel to like me it's not very hard I mean, Um, love my wife you know one of the the best ways to get me to to not find you a pleasant person say mean things about my wife yeah I love my wife and, and I love being around people who who love her too and care about her and the same is true, I, I think, when we, when we talk about God. As, as we love God, there's this desire to be obedient to Him. And, and, and I don't have a desire to be around things and, and entertainment and, and those things that, that disparage God and cause me to, to think wrongly about God. There's this, there's this desire I have to, to be around others and to walk in a way that, that brings God joy and, and pleasure. and Love of God and obedience are, are inseparable, we see in Scripture. Here's another thing we see, right? We also see in Scripture that obedience flows from a changed heart. Obedience flows from a changed heart. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So he's talking about this teaching that they were committed to. And he doesn't say, I'm thankful to God that you finally wised up and did what I told you to do and stop you know, messing around. He says, no, my, my thankfulness to God is that you were obedient, but it was, it, was, it was biblical obedience. It was obedience that came from what? From the heart. He'd also say in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Peter would tell this to leaders in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversoul, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. God desires for our obedience not to be some sort of I, I've done something on a checklist, so God has to find me acceptable. But, but to begin with, love for Him. And, and in fact, what do we see in First John as the most important command? That the summation of command in First in John, we see it in verse twenty-three of First John three. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. As we believe in Jesus Christ, as we obey that essential commandment that God has given us, obedience in all areas of life flows from that. It flows from the gospel. The gospel doesn't mean that obedience isn't necessary. The gospel means that obedience is possible. It's inevitable. In our lives, our heart is changed. My children are younger I've had the ability to enforce obedience, right? Little children don't have the the capability of of maybe the complicated levels of thought necessary to engage in outright rebellion, you know. They, They don't know, they haven't studied all the different theories of government and know that, you know, Overthrow of the king is the only way to enact true change in a dictatorship. They haven't thought through all those things. And so my ability to, to get them to do what I want them to do is, is very great at a young age. But what is one of the greatest joys of a parent? It's when my child is doing what God wants them to do, not because dad has forced them to do so because the consequences of disobedience are too great but it's, it's whenever they do what god wants them to do in obedience to god because they want to do that because the heart is changed i think a great question to ask ourselves as we think about obedience to god in our life does our obedience to god reflect true heart change in our hearts or have we simply gotten better at looking like our heart has changed obedience biblical obedience flows from a changed heart here's the third thing i want you to see the text obedience brings freedom not burdens obedience brings freedom not burdens Whenever we find ourselves being obedient to God, there, there shouldn't be this this understanding that that obedience is is bringing this greater burden, this this greater obligation. It's not to say that obedience isn't difficult, but it's it's not this thing that's that's crushing us and and and, and squeezing the joy out of our lives. One of the, the passages that I think Christians should turn to again and again as they think about this issue of obedience is Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, Paul is talking about. People who are telling the people in Colossae that they need to, to do certain things. They're giving them some, some legalistic requirements. They're, they're uh, forcing them to live ascetic lifestyles. Don't eat this, don't touch this. He says this in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Regulations like don't handle this, don't taste this, don't touch this. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to... Here's where he says, human precepts and teachings. Many of us are not being obedient to God. We're simply being obedient to what other people have told us to do. And he says this, these regulations, all these, these rules have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Following these man made rules is completely ineffective to really dealing with the problem of the flesh that comes from the heart. Some of you, in order to be obedient to God, need to start breaking some rules. Not God's rules. But you need to start breaking some of man made rules. Some rules that others have, have placed in your life, and you think, boy, if I follow this, then I'll be right with God. And you're going to find that's not the case. Last two things really quickly about obedience. Obedience assures us we will not face the consequences of disobedience. And As I think about a characteristic of obedience, there's a confidence that I have that the, the, there's a confidence I have that the consequences of disobedience aren't being manifested in my life. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter one, verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Then finally, we see that obedience brings joy. Obedience brings joy. Hopefully, you're familiar with Psalm 119 that tells us about God's word. But, but listen to how the psalmist describes God's laws found in his word. In verse 14, he says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16 of Psalm 119, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. In verse 54, he says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. In verse 102, I do not turn aside from your rules. They have taught me. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts. I get understanding. I hate every false way. This is good news. The good news for those who love God and want to obey him is that the path that is difficult, the path of obedience is also the only path that leads to joy. A joy that is found in Jesus Christ, our great treasure. Let me encourage you this morning as we think about God's commandments here in 1 John. You can't obey God's commandments. This this obedience test is not separate from the truth test. It's not separate from the, lo- the love test. It's not like I say, well, okay, I, I don't want to do truth, so I'm just going to be obedient, obedient, obedient. Relationship with God, we see this in 1 John chapter 1 and 1 of chapter 2. Obedience to God, Relationship with God begins with, with placing our trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, alone. As we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone, our heart is transformed by the gospel. And we have the joyful ability to obey Him. Loving God means I joyfully delight. obedience let's pray father we thank you for the good news of your son jesus that we can have life in his name and we pray that you give us the ability to be obedient not on the basis of our works on the basis of your son jesus Christ's righteousness being lived out within us through the work of your spirit as we respond to your word we pray this in his name amen